This whole series is about, uh, or has been for me, uh, a reawakening, a re-energizing, and that's the reason I did it. I, I wanted, for me personally, I hope it wasn't too selfish, but I wanted for me to be reminded of the reasons why we do the things we do. We, this whole series, if you haven't been a part of it, has, has been built around the, the, the fact that I think church can get pretty routine. We can just kind of come in and, and dot our I's and cross our T's and do the Christian thing, and it it can become very quickly a cultural thing as opposed to a personal thing. And, and I think that happens when we kind of lose grip of why. why. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this, but why am I doing this? So that's what we've been looking to do. And so we talked about why we surrender and, and the extent that surrender should take us to. Uh, we talked about why we should gather. We talked about uh, why we should serve. And, and th- then we talked about why we should worship. And you guys are singing better. Way to go. Yeah, God, for that. It's good stuff. We talked about why we should worship. Last week we talked about why we should give, and today we're going to talk about why we should tell others. And for me personally, that's just, that's been something that's been so helpful, and I pray it's been helpful for you too, but to remember uh, as someone who does all of those things, uh, why I do them. Uh, That's been my hope that personally I would get that. I I do them. I know why I do them. My prayer is that I'd be a pastor of a church full of people who surrender and gather, who serve and worship, who give and tell others, and, and they do it knowing why they're doing it. Not just because I guess this is what the church told me to do, but it comes from in here, a passion, a conviction, a desire to make much of our God together. Today we're going to talk about the last half of our vision statement, which is kind of where we sprung from every uh, sermon that I've preached in this series. Say it with me, last time, here we go. We exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. Uh, I'm going to focus entirely on this last half of our, our vision. We exist to surrender God's the first part, but then making disciples here and around the world is, is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how for the last 2,000 years that has been taking place to where, you know, billions of people now call in the name of Jesus Christ. That's only possible because people like you and me, just normal folks, have heard the gospel, responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, put our faith just like we sang in that last song, we believe in God the Father, his Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe that we're going to rise again, that Jesus rose from All the things that we believe, we've chosen them. Why? Because someone else told us about it and gave us the chance to choose. It's just how this thing works. It's not a complicated multiplication uh, you know, theory or system. It's just people who have Jesus tell other people who don't have Jesus, and the church grows. That's how it's supposed to work. Uh, too often in the world today, uh, churches grow because another church fails, and everybody ends up in a different one. So I call it sheep swapping. You know, let's just kind of shuffle some sheep here. Uh, you went to that one, but you don't like that one anymore, and so because you live in a big town with all kinds of churches, it's like a big old church mall up in here, and you can just go shop at another store, and good to have you, okay? But that's not how the church is supposed to grow. It's not supposed to grow because of the failure of another post. It's supposed to grow because people who don't know Jesus find him. And the way that people who don't know Jesus find Jesus is people who do know Jesus tell them about him. Now, I'm already sensing that some of the angst is building. Because <laughs> it's one of those sermons, especially for those of you who know Jesus, like, oh, he's going to tell me I've got to tell people about Jesus. He's going to make me do something that uh, I'm going to be you know, nervous about doing. This is going to hurt. That's like the dentist, you know, it's a dentist sermon, right? Uh, it shouldn't be a dentist sermon. In fact, I think it comes a lot of, of our angst, if we have it, comes from um, our misunderstanding of, of the mission. And I'm going to try to explain that more fully today. But what I want to do in our time 
is explain why this is so important that we tell others about Jesus. So without much further ado, because I want to get the whole sermon in, and I almost did in the first service, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Let me give you the five reasons why I think it's important that we tell others about the gospel. The first one is the only one we should really need, and I'll flesh this out, but it's it's because Jesus told us to. (laughs) See ya. Uh, uh, Seriously, shouldn't that be all we need, right? I mean, uh, if Jesus said to do this, done, we do it. Uh, but that's not always the case with churches. Uh, I don't know about you, but if uh, growing up, if my sisters told me to do something, well, I wasn't doing it. Because, you know, we were on the same, uh, you know, a managerial status level. We're, 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 we're peers. Uh, I'm not doing that because you said. Even if they told you, Mom told me to tell you, most of the time I'd be like, you've lied about that before. Get out of here, right? But if Mom came in the room, oh, wait a minute. Something's different, yeah. Uh, we should do this because Jesus told us to tell others. It's just as it's simple as that. And here's, here's the verses, uh, one of the places in the scripture where we get that. Uh, and and, I, and anytime you, you bring out, this is called the Great Commission, if you've ever heard of it before. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's central to the Christian life. Uh, but we usually start at verse 19. I think it's very important that you start at verse 18 if you're gonna memorize this sucker, all right? Because here's what it says. Jesus came and said to his friends, and here, here's the scene. He's about to ascend into heaven. He's died, resurrected from the grave. He spent 40 days hanging out with his, his friends and, uh, and closest ends, and, and he's discipled and taught and, and, and shown himself to be resurrected from the grave so that all these people who maybe would have been out are in totally because they're like, yeah, we saw you die, and now you're alive, okay. And now he's about to go to heaven. He's going to resur- or, or ascend into heaven. He's already resurrected. And he's got one last shot with his friends, and this is what he says to them. Everybody ready? Everybody there on the scene? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Kind of an interesting way to start, right? But he knew us, his friends at the time and us who would be reading a couple thousand years later. And he knew that we're like, is this really what we're supposed to do? Is this real? I mean, is this exactly, you know, as he say, yeah. He says, listen, I'm the boss. I'm not middle management. I'm not some sub-level. I'm all authority. Everything's been given to me. I'm the big bopper on this one. He says, verse 19, go. Then, therefore, and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We just sang about them. And teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He gives us that great encouragement. And let me give you this great encouragement as we start this sermon. Guess what? If you go tell others about Jesus, Jesus is there helping you tell others about him. He's, he's pumping you full of the words and giving you the courage. If you'll just step out in faith and say, all right, I'm going to talk about him. Jesus shows up, promised it right at the beginning when he said, hey, this is what I need you to do. But what does he say? He says, go. It's an imperative in any language. That is a verb that is a command. This isn't a great suggestion. This isn't a, hey, wouldn't it be cool if? This is what I need you to do. And, and this, this, these verses are interesting to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, these are Christ's last words. And instead of choosing to take all of his friends the 12 and those who are gathered with him and saying, listen, I really want you guys to take care of yourselves. Make sure you pray for each other and provide for each other and make sure you do all the things that are going to be able to enable you guys to follow me as, as, as the current followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to take care of each other. He doesn't say anything about themselves, but would it be surprising to you that the church, uh, for the most part, as studies kind of reveal, uh, if, if they get involved in doing anything ministry-wise, 85 to 90% of what they do is about the people who are in the room. They just focus in on the people who show. 
Let's, 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 let's grow our, our, ourselves up and let's protect ourselves and provide for ourselves and make sure our kids got what they need and keep them safe from the big bad world and blah, 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 right? And 80, 90% of, of what churches do is all about this. But Jesus has one last chance. He's got this one chance to make a last impression with his followers. And he says, fellas, I'm done talking about you. In fact, if I could sum up the whole reason that I came, it was so that you would believe so that others can believe. I went to, uh, my first uh, trip away from home was a, a week-long camp at eight, uh, the age of eight. Green Hill Lake Camp in eastern Canada. And I went to Green Hill Lake Camp, and my mom, uh, the whole time we were driving there, was you know, concerned, as she should be as a mother of an eight-year-old, that I was going to be gone this whole week. And so she just kept talking to me about me. You know, here's what you need to do. Make sure you're careful. Don't go in the woods because there's poison. Blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, and then we got to my bunk uh, in my cabin, and she, she, she opened up my suitcase and said, okay, here's all your underwear, here's all your clothes, and here's the towel and the soap, and, the, and here's, you know, make sure your toothbrush and stuff like that. And then she shut the thing up, and she slid it under my bed. And then she left, and I never opened my suitcase for a whole week. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I don't know what my counselor was doing. I mean... I hope he lost his job, but like, uh, I don't remember any kid in my cabin like washing the entire week, and, and uh, I swam in those shorts, and I slept in those shorts. I mean, I just, I just went, right? My mom came back and hauled the suitcase out from under my bed and popped it open. Soap was still in its wrapper, and what happened here? Nothing to what you said, right? What my mom didn't say to me, though, when she was dropping me off to camp was like, hey, uh, make sure you serve all the other kids in your cabin. Now, that's her heart. She, you know, she's a good woman. Some of you have met her. She's really nice. But that wasn't her concern because she was concerned most about who? Me, right? Uh, make sure that you're a, a servant to the other counselors. If there's some way that you can be a help to other people. She never mentioned that once. Why? Because she, like so many other followers of Jesus Christ and people who love each other, that they get, you know, kind of myopic, kind of, hey, I got the blinders on and all I see is us. And what Jesus says is, no, I saved you so that I could use you to help save others. You are my lures. Jiggle, jiggle, jiggle. I'm trying to draw people to myself. And I'm, man, I'm so grateful that I get to spend eternity with you, but can we all agree, and I've said this to you before, the only thing the church is really going to be able to do uh, here on earth that it won't be able to do better in eternity is witness. Because everything else we do here, all the teaching, all the singing, all the anything else we do as a church, relationships, everything's going to be way better when we die and get to heaven. Everybody agree with me on that? The only thing the church can't do when we get to heaven is tell the people who aren't going to heaven how to get there. And that's why I think Jesus says, hey, yo, before I go, make sure you get out there. Make sure you tell others about me. That's the first thing I think these verses make me think about. The second thing, though, is that because this is a mandate, it reminded me uh, that we're really selective in our obedience sometimes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes I get up here and preach, and you're like, dude, got that. Totally nailed that already. I don't even have to be here right now. I'm going to go home, right? And, and then you're not being braggadocious or anything. You're just, you're just telling the truth. Like, like for me right now, uh, cussing, not that big a deal. was when I was younger. Okay? When I first came to Christ, decided to you know, be a, a Christian, there was a lot of, as it says in Ephesians, unwholesome talk coming out of this mouth, all right? Because I was an athlete and grew up in, in those environments, and 
and wanted to be seen as cool by my friends, and so I could, I could string together some stuff. But right now, you know what? It's not that big a deal. Even when I miss the golf shots that I miss so poorly, I'm able to hold that stuff in. So check. I'm, I'm able to obey that command, right? But there's other commands I'm not so great at. How about love your enemy? How are you doing at that one? Anybody like love your enemy? Patriots one, by the way, speaking of enemies. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but loving your enemy, that's a tough one, right? And I think the hardest one for the church universal is this one that we're reading right here, go and make disciples. Because that's hard sometimes. Nerve-wracking, fearful. Uh, we can get rejected. And who's got time for that? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to make my Christianity work. I'm, I can't worry about yours, whether you have it or not. And so what we do, what we do with Jesus is a lot. It's like, okay, here's all the things I can do, and I'm going to rock those. And you're going to need to answer my prayers based on those things because we think it's karma, which it's not. But, but those are the things I'm going to do. And these things, you're just going to have to be happy that, you know, I'm doing those things instead. Just love me anyway. Oh, but church, that's just not how this is supposed to work. This is what I want to say about surrender, and we talked about this the first week. Surrendering, put another way than what I said that week, is, is surrendering to God is giving all that we are in obedience to all that he asks. We don't get to be selective. We don't get to pick and choose the things that are, that are easiest for us. So that means if you're sitting here and you thought that, you know, the whole reaching other people for Jesus was the pastor's job or the really mature Christian in your life group's job or uh, anybody else's but me job, I, I, I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's an all y'all. It's, it's all of us. If we're Christians, if we're disciples, God's called us to be disciple makers. He gets to be the one who uh, picks and determines uh, how we obey him. I, I made a mantle for Eleanor the other day. It's been a year and a half. We've had this uh, fireplace in my uh, main living area in our house, and we've talked about putting a mantle up on this fireplace for a year and a half. My father-in-law uh, came into town, and he's handy. Has anybody picked up from any of my stories that I'm not very handy? Has anybody picked that up? So with him by my side, uh, I came down here to the church and the shop that we have here on our grounds and I used all the saws that I don't have and I sawed some boards together and I stapled and nailed and, and braced together uh, what I think is the world's greatest mantle ever. Just so you know, it's, it's a beautiful piece uh, of, of wood. And I brought it home and I was all excited to show my wife you know, the, the mantle that I find. It's like, you know, the door opens and Shekinah glory flies in and, oh, you know, here's the mantle. And uh, I knew right away that it probably wasn't going to be the mantle. Because she looked at it and she said, oh, that's, that's nice. <laughs> Fellas, anybody ever been there? Why don't you put it up on the uh, fireplace? Let's see how it looks. So my dad go in there and his, wait, it's, it's a big old piece of all this wood that we pulled out of our lake. And it's really rustic looking. It's really cool. But it's heavy. And so we stand there by the mantle and, and Eleanor looks at it and she's like, ah. Oh. It's nice, but it's not what I thought. And then she pulls Pinterest out. Mm, Pinterest, I hate Pinterest. <laughs> and she starts saying, you know, this is what I was thinking and scrolling through all her pictures of what it could be, should be. And there was a huge part of me that was like, 
this is the mantle. Uh, it's been a year and a half, and I finally did this thing. And I know it's only four boards slapped together, but that's going on the wall, baby, right there. But I'm smart. And I've learned. 25 years of marriage last week, we celebrated. Thank you. This is not, this is not, this is, this point is, happy wife, happy life, yo, right? And there'll be, there'll be points and times where I'll, I'll dig in a little bit more, but the mantle's not one of them. I don't care. I've lived for a year and a half with that one. I'm fine. I got a, I got a, I got a big screen on that wall. It's totally cool. I don't care if there's a mantle. Candles? Who gives a rip, right? <laughs> but if you want that stuff, fine. And if it means I got to go back to the barn and make some more cuts, all right, cool. We'll do that. Just be happy with what it is. That's all. And listen, you know what the church has been called to do? To respond to Jesus in the exact same way. Not be like, here, Jesus, this is what I did for you. Take it. Like it or lump it. No, he gets to be the one who says, this is what I require. This is what I desire. And you meet me in what I command you. This, this could be the whole sermon. It actually has taken up a huge chunk of this. But uh, yeah, why do we tell others? Jesus said so. Full stop. Done. But there's more reasons. Let me share some more with you. Ready? Uh, we tell others because Jesus is the only way. You and I have found the cure. Okay? I see all the bumper stickers that talk about coexisting. They got all the symbols of the different religions. I see all the, the, the conversations, especially in our secular or theology or secular culture, theology is becoming less and less defined. Uh, we're postmodern now. Whatever's true to you is true. So everybody's trying to blur what truth is. There's no truth, capital T, anymore in our world. It's all truth, uh, small t's, and it's whatever you think it is. But here's the deal. If you're Christian, you don't believe that, or you shouldn't. It's not your doctrine. It's not what the Scripture teaches. If you do believe that, I don't know if you're Christian. And I'm not trying to, like, weed the you know, field here, but, uh, but if you believe that all the roads lead to the same place, you haven't read your Bible. It's not what it says. In fact, I could go to lots of different places, but here's where Jesus says it plainly. He's talking to his friends. It's two days before he's about to be crucified, and they're all getting freaked out that he's going to leave because he keeps saying that. I got to leave. I got to go. I got to, you know, uh, this, this temple is going to be put down and be resurrected again. They're like, oh, this, is, this is sounds crazy. I mean, we've got a great thing going here. Why would we break up the band? Where are you going? And he says, listen, fellas, let not your hearts be troubled. This is a great side sermon. If you want the side sermon, here's the side sermon. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. If you have fear, in place of fear, put your faith. That's what Jesus just said. Believe. When you're afraid, believe. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I was going to go prepare a place for you? Rhetorical question. The answer is what? No, I wouldn't have told you that. He says, listen, man, in the place of your fear, have hope. Have hope that this is going to get better. You're going to end up somewhere. Like I've promised. That's going to make all of this worth it. Believe in me. Have hope in me. He goes on and he says this. Verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. These are emphatic I will statements. I will take you to myself. Uh, that where I am, you may be also. 
And that's, that's the third thing he tells his friends. He says, hey, if you're fearful, if you're afraid, have confidence in my promises and in my power. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And then he says this. He says, uh, and you know the way to where I'm going. He probably, you know, expected everybody to be kind of on board now with this gospel that he'd been teaching. He's like, yeah, and, and we've been talking about this all along. You know how to get to where I'm, I'm heading to. You, 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 it's through me. And, and they didn't know. In fact, Thomas, who everybody gives a bad rap to, I think he's just honest. You know, he's just like, hey, listen, Lord, uh, we don't, no one else is going to say this, but I'll speak up for all of us. We don't know where you are going. Uh, how can we know the way? And then Jesus said these words. You say them with me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's not multiple ways. He says, I'm the way. There's one road that leads to heaven. He referred to it in Matthew 7 when he said it's a narrow road, a narrow gate. He says, choose that one, not the wide one that leads to destruction. There's this, there's this one way, and it's me. If you want to get to the Father, if you want to experience eternity, it's, it's through me. Everybody's eternal, but if you want to spend eternity with God, you've got, to, you've got to go through me. Not Allah, not Buddha, not Krishna, not Hinduism, not any ism or ick or spasm or whatever, right? It's all Jesus and only Jesus. He is the way. And all these sub-truths that you're buying into as a culture, listen, they, they might have rudimentary truths in them. There might be partial truths in them. But there is only one capital T truth. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's the truth. And he says, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I told you, it's going to get loud up in here. And he says, I'm the only life. Now, he gets to say that because he is the maker of all life. Everybody knows that. John 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all things that were created were created by him. And so he is the maker of original life and he is the giver of secondary life because you and I were born into Adam in the sins of Adam. We were dead in our transgressions and sins and Jesus, of his own volition, in obedience to his father, uh, you know, pushed by the love of God himself, came down, died on a cross, imputed, took all of the sins of you and me on himself so that we could be born again, have a second life. Jesus is the life. He gave it to us the first time. He gave it to us the second time. And so, if we, listen, if we've got the cure and we sit on it, everybody else is going to be trying to find the cure some other way. Through themselves, through some other false religion. It's imperative that the people who hold the cure share it with those who do not. Thirdly, Jesus did this amazing thing for us. This is my big one. <laughs> Jesus did this amazing thing for us. So I'm like, huh? Well, he, yeah. He, he died on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to pay for our sins. And I'm even saying that. And some of you are like, yeah, no, that's what we believe. And you're not freaking out over that. And every time you hear that, you should freak out. It's become so commonplace, many of us born into this faith, it's just all we know, that many of us are unable, at least in the perspective we have, to step back and just be amazed by the grace of Jesus Christ. 
But that's why you tell people, because this news is not just good, it's the best. There's no better news in the world. And we, we love good news, don't we? We got YouTube now. We'll show it to everybody, right? Like, uh, uh, I, love, I love when, uh, uh, you know, many of our brave servicemen and women uh, have been deployed for a long time. They come back and they want to surprise their families at these professional, you know, uh, sports uh, 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 contests. And so they'll put on a goalie mask at a hockey game or a catcher's mask at a baseball game. And their, their little girl will throw the first pitch out and they'll make a big fuss about how daddy's deployed. But then all of a sudden, everybody with me, right? Tears every time, right? Here comes the mask and here's the little girl. And they haven't seen each other for nine months. A big hug. And they like got like, like, you know, one after another of these on YouTube. You can just watch them all the afternoon, this afternoon, and cry the whole time. Have fun. Because we as a culture love to celebrate. We love good news. And, and because we've got social media now, we've totally lowered the bar of what good news is, right? Like whatever you have for dessert today at lunch is going to be good news for somebody because you're going to take a picture of it and be like, oh, my gosh, this thing is so great. And you're going to set it off into the Twitter sphere or whatever, and you're going to want everybody to give you one of these, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we love to celebrate. I mean, there's enough lousy stuff going on. Let's, let's enjoy dessert, right? But we, we celebrate strawberry shortcake, right? Yeah, I'm hungry now, right? Yeah. We celebrate dessert, but don't ask us to talk about Jesus because that's religion. We don't do religion in politics. It's culturally taboo. We don't do that. We certainly don't want our friends to think we're crazy and weird. Hey, lean in, lean in. Let's have one of those moments. Ready? If you're a Christian, you're crazy and weird. <laughs> just so you know. That's just how it is. But, we, you know, let's not rock the boat. Oh, okay. I'm giving everybody permission right now to start rocking some boats. I'm, I'm, I'm extolling, I am begging this church to walk out of this place more excited about the grace that they've been given by the Son of God than they are about their shortcake. Please, someone go out there and tell people the good news that has happened to you. Don't save it for your engagement pictures, which is good news. I'm glad you got engaged. Or, or your baby coming. Hey, great news. Fill up Facebook with that stuff. Have fun. But daily, wake up to the amazement that God would send his son to save the likes of you and me. And, and live your life in awe of his love and his grace. And then when you see people, grab, oh, this is getting a little weird. Don't, don't, that's like, I think that's illegal. Don't grab them. <laughs> but if they ask you how, they're, how you're doing, say, great. And when they say, why, say, well, this is going to sound crazy or weird to you, but I'm saved. Jesus is in my life. He's made the difference in my life. And they'll look at you like, whoa. And you'll be like, yeah, I know. But I can't help it. The news is just that good. I was sitting at my desk the other day, and I was like, hypocrite. I was getting ready to preach this just yesterday afternoon, and I was thinking about Facebook and how everybody puts whatever on it. Uh, and I never go on Facebook. If you are a Facebooker, you know that. I'm not a frequenter. But uh, 
Uh, I went on yesterday because I knew I was going to preach this, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so uh, I, I posted on my wall. Is that what it is? It's a wall? Yeah. I posted on my wall. Hey, I'll read it to you. <clears throat> I posted on my wall these, these words. Uh, getting ready to speak at Bay Life Church tonight and realizing that the greatest thing in my life, greater than my 25 years with my amazing wife, Eleanor, greater than the birth of my kids or anything else, the greatest thing in my life is the faith that I have in Jesus Christ. He saved me from myself, and he gave me life anew with him. I don't say it enough, but Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me, right? Okay, yeah, he's a pastor. He's supposed to say that. We pay him to say that. No, you don't. I hadn't said it for a long time, and I'm just like you. I can go covert. I can get wrapped up in all the other stuff. But here's the deal. I pray that today is a day where we all get kind of shook loose from all the other stuff, and we make much of Jesus because he has done so much for us. If you've got a Facebook account, I'm going to tell you right now. You can do it right now while I'm preaching. I'm not even going to be mad. I know some of you do this anyway when I'm preaching. <clears throat> But if you want to go on your Facebook account right now and say something to the effect of what I just said, do it. If you want to do that every day for the next 30 days, do it. Some of you are like, I already do, Mark. Way to go. Maybe this sermon's one of those things that's easy for you to obey. But for the rest of the church, not so much. And if I'm talking to you, be bold. Start the conversations. See where they lead. Who knows? You posting just one thing on a Facebook wall could lead to the life change of someone for eternity. Right? That's how it's worked for 2,000 years. Fourth thing, we tell others about Jesus because if we don't, who will? If we don't, who will? Jesus was uh, walking with his disciples early in his ministry years. And in John chapter 4, he gets to this well where there's a, uh, a break in the action. His friends are going to go into town. They're in this kind of enemy territory called Samaria. Uh, but his friends go into town to get some sandwiches. They've been walking all day. It's the heat of the day. And uh, so Jesus is just going to try to get some water at this well, and they're going to get some, you know, Cubans for, for lunch. And uh, so they go off, and, and uh, uh, Jesus is just hanging out there, and this woman comes up. Many of you know the story, but if you don't, this woman... Uh, she's got no business being at this well in the middle of the day. The women would never draw their water in the middle of the day. They would come early in the morning when it was cool or at night when it was cooling off. And this woman didn't want to be seen by anybody else. And of course she walks up to this well and here's this Nazareth guy. And, uh, and they start a conversation and Jesus just asked for some water and the woman's shocked that, she's even, that he's even talking to her. And he says, you know, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. And I would give you water so that you would never thirst again. And it starts this whole conversation. Jesus was great at that. He would just kind of, hmm. And uh, eventually, they, you know, kind of get, it, 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 the conversation kind of uh, degenerates. It just, it, she's getting more and more testy. And then finally, just Jesus says, hey, hey, why don't you go get your husband? Let's, let's have me and him have a talk. And she's like, ooh. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had a lot. And the guy you're with right now isn't your husband. And she's like, oh, he's been reading my mail. <laughs> and the conversation changes because she realizes this isn't just some normal dude. Uh, and so they start talking about religion. They talk about which hill they're supposed to worship on. And Jesus says, you know what? 
But she says there's this Messiah coming, and Jesus says to her in response to this coming Messiah that the Old Testament scriptures have predicted, he says, right here, sis. And I wish we had the rest of the transcript, because I think there was probably some other conversation, uh, but, but all we have is that she dropped the water jug that she'd walked all the way out of town to fill, and she drops the jug, and she just runs into town. And, and this woman who has heard the good news, met the Messiah for the first time, her first instinct, not to join a life group, not to find a church. Her first instinct is to what? Go and tell everybody else. I mean, she runs in the town, and the Bible tells us that she just starts grabbing people and saying, you gotta get out to the well. There's a guy out there. He's told me everything that's ever been told about me, and you gotta go meet him. And so that's where we pick this up. The disciples return with the Cubans, and they're trying to get Jesus to eat, and Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He says, I'm not hungry anymore. He says, I'm fulfilling my purpose. You ever done something that you enjoy so much you just forget to eat? Some of us have not, right? But, but there might be some of you out there. You, know, you just get so enwrapped, you just lose track of time, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, oh, you guys, I'm not even hungry. You keep the Cuban. I'm just, I'm just so excited. And then he, he fast forwards right into this. He says, do, not, uh, do you not say, and he's going he's gonna to use a saying from the time. This is like a, an axiom or an idiom of the day. It's like when we say, don't spit into the wind, or a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush, or whatever your saying is, you know, what's up? Anyway, um, he says, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. This, is, this was a common saying of the day, and it was all about patience. He's like, hey, uh, four months before you harvest. Jesus says, I'm flipping that on its ear. He says, look, I tell you, Lift your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, this is really interesting because he's in the desert. He's not pointing to agricultural stuff. Uh, almost every scholar that I've ever read believes that Jesus is using a metaphor. He's talking about all these Samaritans that are coming out from the town with this woman, and they're wearing the white linen of the day. That's what they would, uh, the, the, the cheap linen of, or the cheap cloth of the day would be white. And so here comes all of these people, and he says, there's our harvest. He's not talking about beans. He's talking about souls. He goes on and he says, it's kind of confusing if you've ever read it before. I'm going to try to explain it to you today. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Remember those two words, sower and reaper. He goes on and he says, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. There it is again. Uh, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. You, you didn't sow. Others have labored or sown, and, and you have entered into their labor. This isn't meant to be confusing. He, he's actually just right in the context. He's pointing at these people, and he says, hey, isn't this great, guys? You weren't here when I planted the seeds with that woman, and we weren't even in there when she went into town. She started telling everybody they've got to come and talk to me. They did all the sowing, right? But you, coming back from Cubans, you get to be a part of the harvest. And today we're gonna to see souls turned over to the good news. And, and you didn't have to do the work at the, at the front end. And, and, and if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. So many times people don't wanna do this whole tell other people thing because they think they can't finish the deal. They, they confuse telling with selling. Like if you're in sales, uh, it doesn't matter how many prospects you have, uh, you don't get paid for those. You get commission on the people who say yes, I'll buy a fridge, or yes, I'll buy a car or a house or whatever. That's selling. Selling is, is, is closing the deal. 
And, and some of you are sitting here and, and you, you don't know how to close the deal. You've never had the opportunity to close the deal. You don't expect it. And so if you can't close the deal, why start? You're confusing telling with selling. Here's what Jesus has said. Hey, isn't it great that sometimes you sow and sometimes you reap? And his point is this. And this is what I'm going to tell you as your pastor. Some of you may never, I, I pray this isn't true. I pray everybody in here has a chance someday in their lives to share their faith with someone who makes a decision for Jesus Christ. It is one of the most amazing experiences that you will ever have. I pray everybody gets to have it, but some of you may not. I'm just guessing that may happen. The crime of that would be if, if, you, uh, if you are one of those people who maybe never has an opportunity to see some, someone cross the finish line, that you say, well, I'm not gonna sow just because I'm not gonna reap. And here's the deal. The church, for 2,000 years, has been a place where people have chosen Jesus and then been challenged by Jesus to go out and just toss some seed. Just get it out there. Just see what happens. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in this corner with people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and I'm like person 29 who's ever talked to them about Jesus. It started when their mom was praying for them when they were a little kid and they just told her to, you idiot. And, and, and then they went to college and they had that one kid on their floor in their dorm who was a Christian and a weirdo and he wouldn't party with the rest of us and, but he just, you know, he was different. And, I, and then, you know, now I work with this guy, he goes to your church and he won't leave me alone. He just keeps inviting me, inviting me. And so eventually I just, I showed up and, and, and now I'm here and I've been talking to him and my mom and I even called the guy from college and I've been listening to you preach and I don't know. But this stuff is making sense now for some reason. And I think I need to trust Jesus. And I get to stand out here and be like, scythe, right? Reap. You guys know what a scythe is, right? Yeah, anyway. I'm just bringing in the harvest, but I didn't do anything on the front end. I'm just showing up at church and having the joy of sharing my faith with someone. I love it when those, those friends come with the friends who wouldn't leave them alone. And the three of us get to sit there and see him trust Christ. It's good stuff. And that's never happening except that faithful men and women and students, what's up, you awake over there, high schoolers? That faithful men and women and students and children take up this call of the Christ life and say, I'm not gonna be quiet. I'm not just gonna let this go. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And even if it's just staccato, it's just these one-offs, it's just these little in inputs into, into my, my daily life, I'm gonna let people know that Jesus matters to me. And if I never get to close the deal with that person, I'm not gonna walk away feeling like a failure. I'm gonna know that I've been faithful to doing what Jesus told me to do. I'm here to tell others. I'm here to tell others. Some people say, oh, I'll just let my actions speak. That's great, but uh, actions aren't enough. Like, has anybody ever been trained for a job? My, my daughter became a waitress last summer, and she had to shadow one of the training waitresses or servers or whatever we call them um, on, on, the, on the day that she went in there. Wouldn't that have been a hard day for her if the server wouldn't have talked to her? Like, she's learning to be a waitress, and, 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 the, and the, the lady that's training her is mute.
Wouldn't that have been a hard trading day, right? If you never talk. So everybody was saying, oh, I witness all the time. I live my life out loud, you know, in front of people. Hey, that's great. Keep doing that. But you know why God gave you one of these? Uh, uh-huh. So that you'd use it. And you'd tell people of the joy that's within you. And you may never get to close the deal. I pray you do. But everybody in here can, can throw some seed. So that's my prayer for us. Two things as we close. The band's going to come out. Trust me. <laughs> and as the band comes out, I'm going to pray. But before I pray, here's my prayer. My, my prayer is that everybody in here who knows Jesus would talk to someone this week about him. Not, not someone in your life group. If they already know Jesus, doesn't count. Try that if that's going to warm you up. Do that. That's fine. But then to someone else, over lunch with that coworker, uh, at school, uh, maybe you're driving one of your friends to school who doesn't know Jesus. Just pop them in. Maybe it's even what I did on, life, on Facebook. Uh, that'd be a great, let's, let's all do that. Can we all do that? Everybody go on Facebook and tell people that you love Jesus. If you do, don't do it because I told you to. If you do, start there. But then pray for an opportunity this week. Even if it's just, if it's just small, just get your foot in the door. Let someone know that Jesus matters to you. Because I hope he does. For me, he's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life, ever. I want to live like that's true. So let me pray for us. Hey, God, now we come before you now. And we just want to, as, as we talked about at the beginning of this series, we want to be surrendered to you in every phase and every aspect of life and all that you ask. We want to give you uh, what you desire. We know you want us to be uh, your salt and your light. We, you want us to be the ones who tell uh, a world that doesn't know you about you. Uh, so, uh, Lord, give us uh, the, the courage. Uh, uh, give us the, uh, the reminders that we're going to need uh, to make much of you in our lives. Help us to be excited about you as we are about shortcake. Uh, and, even, and way more than that. But, but lead us past uh, the stuff of this world into the things that are eternal, the things that truly matter. And then surprise us, God, with uh, uh, the ways that you're going to work. People are going to be posting stuff. Maybe they already started, and friends who don't know uh, about you are going to ask these folks who just said that I believe in Jesus uh, about you. And, and you're going to work. I, I trust that. I, that's how you've done it for 2,000 years. Faithful people just start talking, and others who don't know you find you. So make us that kind of church. Make us those kinds of Christians. Um, help us to, to live our lives for the sake of the world. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.